Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. Now, we used to pride ourselves as a country that had one of the highest turnouts when it comes to elections as a share of those who vote consistently above 70% of South Africans registered end up voting in national elections in particular. And that number has started to decline. If you take a further data point and you look at how many people actually register as a share of potential voters, that number two is starting to decline. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, a political scientist, to tease out the political implications. If the total number of people in the country that are responsible for the government of the day, being the government of the day, start going down, it erodes the political and ethical legitimacy of the people in power. They may be there lawfully, but in terms of political legitimacy, we've got a problem. And so the question's got to be asked, how do we keep South Africans enthused both about registering and actually turning out on voting day? And the massive question behind that in turn is what do we do to get young people and first-time, potential first-time voters to be enthusiastic enough to actually register before 2024 when they've got so many good reasons to be either skeptical or worse, to be cynical. Now, someone that has made this their mission post their own party political career is Mbalin Tuli, who has just launched her nonprofit called Groundwork Collective. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Mbali, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Eusebius. It's only a pleasure. Now, you're in an interesting position because you have been on both sides of the market, as it were. You have wanted people to vote for you, and you know what it's like to go out and beg them to do so. But now now you've taken on a different mission to get more people to be interested in politics. Let's start with the fundamentals. Why do you think it is important to focus exclusively and in a very determined way on the mission of getting more people to register to vote? Thanks, Yusiba. So, I mean, a lot of it is to what you've already sort of outlined for your listeners. Our voters' role uh, has people that are immigrating, that are aging, that are dying, quite frankly. Um, And the problem that we have in South Africa is that we don't have young people registering and then coming out to vote. Now, aside from the legitimacy problem that we have about whether or not we vote people and they actually get the majority of 
eligible uh, voters. The other problem is you want to nip this in the bud. Otherwise, you have a cohort of people that go from age to age not actually um, Mm. having the habit of voting and being able to register and to take their citizenry uh, seriously. And I think in a country like ours, uh, we have a lot of work to do um, to actually get people to understand not just their rights about being able to vote, but the responsibility that comes afterwards, which whatever electoral outcome is also holding those who are elected into power accountable. So I take it seriously, and I think it's something that we aren't speaking enough about um, in South Africa. And if we don't have uh, more people on the voters' roll, what effectively we do is we allow the current political parties to be able to continue with the number of votes we get. And just to make this very simple, let's say party A gets 10 million out of 15 million uh, votes for the election, and another party gets maybe two of that 15 million if those two parties are really good at always being able to mobilize their specific voters that they know that they have on their call sheets and they know where to get out because they have addresses, they can continue to ride that wave as long as they service those particular voters. So when people stop coming out to vote or stop registering to vote, it becomes 10 out of 13 million uh, instead of the 15 million because, of course, people aren't coming and people aren't registering, which makes it seem artificially as though those parties are either growing or have more standing mm. than they actually do. So by not doing this, we actually allow for the status quo to continue in our country. And if we are all lamenting the fact that politics in the way that it currently is, is not working for us, then what we have to do is scare political parties into pandering to voters and being scared of voters. And you can only do that if you flood the voters or with so many people that these political parties don't know where they come from and they don't know who they are. So it forces mm. them to then interact with them, find what their issues are, and mm. then try to towards actually doing something about it because they obviously are scared that politically their competition might be able to capture those voters. So it's important for us to understand that that's actually how political parties in this country function. Uh, It's really about differential turnout. And so you have to make sure that you have enough people on the voters role constantly to scare political parties to not be um, complacent about the people that vote. That is really interesting. I'm going to return to a couple of those observations that are so incisive. I want to get some numbers out of the way. How big a problem do we have? How many people voted in the last election? What is our baseline comparison from a trend point of view so that we can know whether we are overstating the graph sloping downwards or whether we are rightly setting high standards for ourselves? I would imagine we still do well by global standards or are we trying not to be complacent to use your language? So I think that we do have a high turnout in comparison to the global north. But if you look at how many people are actually registered in our country, it's a little under half the people that sh- that are eligible to be registered. Mm. Um, and what this means is that even though we had a turnout of something like 65% uh, in, the, in the last um, uh, national election, if you actually look at the numbers of young people that we have as part of the electorate, they make over 70% and they represent about 26, 30% of that voters' role, and then less than half of them come out. Hmm. So it's it's one thing to say that we have a lot of people that are technically registered, um, but looking at how much young people we have as just a, a point of how much they are in our population, uh, the crisis for me is what's coming um, and is already sort of here, but the crisis is that the majority of young people are not registering as much as they should, and less than half of those ones that are 
um, are coming out. And so we're going to continue in the cycle of having representation that isn't fully reflective of uh, what actually should be happening in our country and are of the people that are registered. And so you can say that in the last election, the, the governing party that won had 57 uh, percent or around about there, I think. Um, but if you look at the numbers, the, the amount of people that voted for them were about 10 million people in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And I think to the point that you were talking about, about legitimacy, you have 10 million people that have made a, a big decision uh, for what currently is, you know, the people that govern us now, but that number is even less than half of the people that are registered. So I think that we, we aren't, we aren't, um, we aren't aware as South Africans, because I think we also just sometimes like to hide our heads in the sand, Mm. uh, how much this this could potentially be a crisis if we don't arrest it Mm. now. And I think obviously we can get into it. I'm sure you'll ask me, um, but I think that there's a big reason for why we only have almost, you know, 12 million people that only voted last year out of a, a huge population in about just over, I think. We'll begin that process of getting into those drivers in Bali. I want to underscore yeah. two, two things you've said. I mean, you are so word perfectly eloquent that I want to go back to your words and slow them down a little bit because I think they, right. they're that important. The first is that, Adjacent to my point about legitimacy, you raise the question of active citizenship. Now, the two go hand in glove, but drill down into that a little bit more for me and take your time, that not only do we want a government that we elect to genuinely have political, ethical legitimacy besides being lawful, that your project is also fundamentally about active citizenship. Mm. Yes. So I think what's incredibly important, because this is a question that we keep hearing people asking in South Africa is, okay, what's the point if people don't register or people do register, it's still the same results or what can people do? And I think there's been a big, um, big mistake that we've made in South Africa. We assumed that the work of the IEC, which is voter education, would also encompass civic education. And to some degree they do, but certainly not at the level that I think we should be having civics as a as a as a conversation mm. and as a skill that we give to citizens. Because an uninformed citizen is basically somebody who doesn't know what kind of political efficacy they can have. And so my project is very focused on whatever the electoral outcome after the electoral outcome, we also need to make sure that people are informed and are able to actually make sure that they hold those politicians and political players to account. So, for Mm -hmm. example, the average South African doesn't really know that they have a PPP committee, for example, that they can go to that will listen to whatever issues as long as sub-GDK. People don't know how the government structures work. They don't know between... What does PPE mean? Uh, public participation and petitions, my apologies. And then people don't know what their war room does. People don't know how to get in touch of a counselor beyond just asking them, you know, where's electricity, if even that. People don't know no. how to get their counselors and officials to come do report backs to their communities. People don't know that are things like uh, urban improvement precincts that they can set up in their own neighborhoods and make the municipality give them the rates and tariffs that are paid by certain individuals to actually improve their own um, area. A lot of people, I think, in South Africa 
feel that they know what happens um, because, you know, we are such a political nation, but actually have never had the civic education to take that beyond just voting five years. And so people think that they've participated in democracy by voting. I would argue that there's a lot more for us to do. And I want citizens to be armed with that, because if we don't have it, we continue to have our political elites playing football with us and I can see that's a really important point because what it means is groundwork collective which you had started it takes its impetus from wanting more people to register to vote to actually vote and in particular the biggest demographic to be young people who inherit the future and the state of the state and the state of the nation. So they must be active participants in the making of the country they wish to see instead of just bemoaning the status quo. But your last answer to me suggests that although that might be a primary objective, that you have multiple objectives, and that even if we had voter turnout of 80%, Groundwork Collective is still important as an ongoing democratization project. A hundred percent. I mean, I think you've stated it far more eloquently than I could have. And I mean, Groundwork Collective has other pillars, but this one is our most important, particularly going towards the election. Um, and yes, we think that it should be ongoing. That's why we're going to be in schools, um, in corporates, because the other assumption that we have in South Africa is that civics is a is a is a is a form of education that some people might have. And I would argue that I've spoken to people that are CEOs even who don't know how to actually get uh what they need out of their government um or, or that's, right. Their- that's right, Mbali. We also think that it is inherently party political. You happen to have come from the Democratic Alliance on a personal level in relation to your donors, potential donors, people who want to give of their time and skill and trade, if not money. How do you now brand yourself, for lack of a better word? And can you also speak to me a little bit about the importance of seeing civic education in apolitical terms, even though in a trite sense, it's necessarily political, but presumably not necessarily party political? Well, exactly. Uh, It's incredibly political. I think that most things in South Africa are political. And I think we need to get out of this idea that people should be scared of politics or say that they don't care about politics or politics isn't for them. Everything that we do is is political in this country. And I would argue that that's absolutely fine. What we don't have to do is be partisan. And so, I mean, for me, that is how I've branded the organization and how I've been conducting myself when I've been speaking to stakeholders. Um, And I think I can't be accused of any particular party because having been in the system and knowing people, uh, there's, there's nothing that I can gain from any of them and nothing they can gain from me. And this is why the partners that we've had include uh, the IEC and others to make sure that people understand all this information Mm. All that kind of stuff is going to um, be with credible mm. sources that are nonpartisan for even longer than I've been in the game. Um, but I, I absolutely think that it has to be political because, I mean, this is trite, but the, the personal is political. And for us to say that we don't care about it, or we don't want to know about it, um, I think allows, once again, the impunity by which we see our political parties acting and the way that they can allow children to drown in feces and toilets because Absolutely. nobody has the power to hold yeah. them to account. And even though we have so many protests in our country, uh, at the end of the day, if there are no steps thereafter uh, to hold the parties accountable, we're just going to continue to have this conversation and I'm tired of it. Mm. 
Now, before we get to the question that you told me I'm going to ask you as an experienced interviewee uh, around what the reasons are for why young people might opt out of registering or voting, there's one last part of your initial prose perfect response to my first question that I want to pause over. We started off by talking about legitimacy. We then spoke about the importance, besides legitimacy, of ongoing democratization and active participating in democracy. And then there's a third thing you said, in an almost jocular way, you said, if we don't expand and flood the voters' role with new names, then political parties will keep simply putting their existing voters on wheelbarrows, let them go and vote, and the status quo won't change in terms of the issues that they care for. I want to put that a bit more positively and have you tease that out. I know you were speaking rhetorically there. It is also about deepening accountability, isn't it? The reason why political parties are so obsessed with their mythical core and the ongoing question, how do we not alienate our base type of analyses, Mm -hmm. is precisely because they see the current number of people on the voters' roll as an upper limit of potential voters, which is madness. So talk to me about not just scaring them to not be complacent, but how an extra three, four million people in the voters' roll is actually another form of accountability, I would think. I, I think absolutely. Um, and, and this is why it's so important. Um, I mean, yeah, aside from scaring them, I think it's it gives an extra day of accountability because those people are going to make sure that they vote in whoever it is. And and, and I think also with the with the democracy that we are or entering, the phase of democracy that we're entering where we start talking about coalitions and all these kind of new parties, what excites me is even if there's a single issue party that talks about one thing, at least they would have a pool of people that potentially could vote for them. Because as it stands now, it's almost as though every single party has taken enough of what is the current uh, registered people that come out and and keeps them in their pockets. And so even if a party, and we have no shortage of them, I think 54 in South Africa at the moment, uh, stands on a good platform and seems sensible, there is no way that they are ever going to have the ability to start a party campaign and also be able to register yes. people. I mean, even the ANC and the DA have difficulty being able to do so. The other thing that I really think South Africans need to get over is talking about, oh, here's a new party, here's a mushroom party. We absolutely want that because we want to be able to give anyone who can do better a chance to actually be able to have people vote for them. And so if it means that we have a lot of parties and they get 500, 1 million, whatever the number is, and you have a lot of 5%, 6%, 2% parties, as long as they then go to parliament, punch above their weight and actually do something and create the kind of deepened democracy that we want, uh, we're not going to have that if we don't have more people that are potentially able to vote for them. So it's it's an even bigger crisis than just the political parties that currently exist being scared. Mm. We need more people there for any person who might think that they could potentially run or have a party um, to also have a pool of people. But Mbali, this brings me to the second last issue, and it's 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 a big issue, even though it's second last, like the last one. Precisely the question you anticipated, why in fact do people who don't register, not register, 
why do people who don't vote but are registered not actually do so? I wonder whether you have done your homework yet to find out the factual answer, in the absence of which we can only speculate. The intuitive speculation, I would have thought, is deep disappointment that the current lot have not delivered, and therefore a case of WGF, it's not going to make a fundamental difference, unless there are more banal reasons, like, for example, administrative hurdles to actually registering. Mm. So, I mean, when I left politics, I did have the intuition, but I did commission um, research specifically on that. Um, and we had a very good company that does this kind of research in South Africa that went around the entire country. I did too. And we listened to many, many young people, children that are, I mean, well, young people that are heading up households, um, people in varsities, people in schools across the country. And yes, intuitively it is because people are disappointed. Uh, but that disappointment, there's a deeper reason. It's because they don't have a way to draw a parallel of how they can say that they're disappointment. Where do they place that? If somebody is angry at the fact that they don't have a job, who is the actual person? What is the actual structure that they can go to in South Africa? Our government is so far removed from people that they don't know what's to do with that disappointment. And so why must they register to vote? Because they don't think anyone's going to listen to them. And no. so it goes back to what I'm saying a little bit is that there's no political efficacy. There's no feeling in South Africa that if you're angry about something or that mm -hmm. if something is morally wrong, that there's a way for you to actually do something about it. And so if you don't show people what they can do or how they can access those structures, they don't feel as if they can until they give up. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Administrative hurdles is another one. There is a staggering amount of people in our country that don't have IDs. Staggering. And that was almost That's the second... That's what I thought, right? So exactly <laughs> what I thought. But also, yeah. like, you know, in this day and age, if I... Um, my apologies for butting in, but if I'm spending a lot of time at the mall, or if I go to Vodacom or MTN, because I'm obsessed with wanting the latest gadget, even though I can't afford it, there might be an opportunity there to quickly register. So why don't you catch me at the places that I frequent? Absolutely. Uh, and that is one of the things we're going to be doing. But the problem is, as I say, one of the, the second highest um, reason that people weren't registering for many of them is because they still are trying to get IDs because they might not have birth certificates or they mm. might have been lost. And they wrote them a trick with, you know, the local chief having been the person who did an affidavit to say that they know them. Yeah. Um, and and for some people, it might become the choice between whether they apply for an ID or do something else in the day and go and get a job. And so then, you know, it becomes this big issue. So that's another issue that we have that's to right, yeah. experience as South Africans. Um, and then I think another issue, again, is that I don't think young people, uh, aside from the disappointments and the fact that a lot of the political parties just turn them off, feel that they have any political party that is really speaking to them. And I think a lot of our political parties say that, but if you listened, for example, to the last two that have had their big conferences, there wasn't a lot that was talking to young people in particular, aside from, you know, having them in a catch-all phrase of, we want to create jobs, but nothing specifically. We have whole ministries uh, that we're not entirely sure what they do uh, for young people. And so I think young people also just don't see themselves reflected in governments. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean just in terms of demographic age people, but in terms of actual programs that they ever hear about. And that's not mm -hmm. to say that there aren't things like the jobs fund, but you and I are the kind of people who are watching and reading the news all the time. So we get that. If mm -hmm. that information gets to a young person where they are at a mall, at a Shisanyama, uh, at a wherever, at a varsity, at a 
at a technical at a college, then it may as well not exist. It may as well just be for us certain grouping of young people and the rest of them feel out of the loop and like nobody's talking to them. Now, Mbali, as a communication specialist, I know that the toolkit from which one takes tools are many and you have to use the right tool for the right situation. Um, The people that might listen to us, if we stereotype who they may be, may be susceptible to a certain kind of argument. If you and I were doing a workshop I don't know, at Mary Waters in Grahamstown, we might think about framing a certain kind of argument with older students who are eligible to to go go and vote. But at a general level, I want to ask you this question. Even though your techniques, your technologies are going to differ from place to place, age group to age group, et cetera, fundamentally, someone is listening to you and me regardless of previous or current political um, affiliation, age group, racial identity, or whatnot, what is going to be your most important attempt to persuade someone that they should vote? What's the reason to vote? (laughs) I'm no longer a politician, hey, Sivius? I'll tell you what my answer is. I'll I'll go first because... I I I don't think this is an issue on which political analysts or broadcasters need to be neutral. I used to wrestle with my radio listeners when I had a daily show on this question. And part of the reason I'm passionate about your project and, and I'm happy to help you is I, I don't want to be value neutral on this question. I've got a very simple, negative, weird argument, and it's this. By not voting or even spoiling your vote, which I also am against personally, you don't opt out of the legal power that a government of the day has over you. A government Mm. will be formed. It will have a monopoly on forming policy and acting laws based on those policies, the legitimate use of force, collecting and dispersing taxes. That's it. That's why governments exist. Under no circumstances... Are you going to be let off the hook in terms of the impact of those massive powers just because you didn't vote? And you may as well, therefore, have a say in who has those enormous powers. So my argument goes. And if you don't like any of the choices, then my advice is choose the least bad. Yes, uh, I think that that's a that's a really compelling argument. And mine is similar. For me, I don't ever want to feel as though I didn't have a choice and mm-hmm. who's going to make decisions about my life yeah. and about my children's life and about the people that I care about and about this country. And I worry, as I said, I think earlier, that if we continue to have this complacency and particularly an age group that gets into the habit of not voting, mm. we're not going to waste what's going to come for us. And if we already are a country that is daily surprised by the things that we see our government doing, whether it's letting prisoners in and out of prison, like a boarding school, or whether it's, um, you know, ministers act with impunity for not doing their work, how much worse when we all decide that we're not voting. And so for me, that's, that's a huge reason. Um, And I want to also be able to say that I put someone into power and I want to be able to get them out. And that's another big thing that I want us to to understand, that voting and registering gives us that option. At the moment, political parties 
you can only get somebody who says a counselor out if they die and triggers a by addiction or if they do something so scandalous that their political party fires them. We have no ability to actually have a recall clause as South Africans. And I think the more of us are actually coming out to register and vote, the more we can push for that kind of mm-hmm. thing happen and force political parties to do it. And even though the electoral amendment bill as it stands doesn't have that either, uh, and there's still a lot of work to do around it, what I'm Mm. loving is the conversation of actually saying we need to now start having a way that we hold those that are directly electable uh, to to, to us as citizens and how do you recall them if they're not? And that's the direction that we want people to go. But that won't happen if the rest of us then just sit on our hands. It has to be all of us kind of together. I love what you're doing. Democracy is important. Democratization is a separate but related concept. And for me, the work that you do falls squarely in political science term within the broader umbrella of democratization. And I'm glad someone is doing it. I hope that you get more people helping you, which leaves us with one last final question. Remind us the name of this new initiative. Where can people learn more? Who do you want help from and how can they get involved if they are intrigued and so inclined? Thank you. So it's Groundwork Collective um, and they can find us on our website, groundworkcollective.org. And we are looking for South Africans of all works of life who want to be involved, um, but also organizations or schools that would like us to come to them. Uh, we've got lots of board games for young people. So we've, we've got different things pushed at different levels, uh, really cool, interesting videos from experts. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do one for us um, at some stage. Um, and so we've got a lot of different materials that are pitched at different levels um, of civic education. And what we'd love is for people to invite us to their workplaces or to their schools um universities for us to be able to do it but more importantly we've got other pillars of work as i said and if you're a south african who's patriotic who has time to give of your skill and kind not just to ground a collective but the many other wonderful community um initiatives that we're working with then you can do that and that's another way of showing south africans that you don't have to be partisan to try and give back to your country or just to try and save south africa there's a lot of us that are actually very talented in many ways mm. and a lot of young people in particular who are looking for people to to help them mentor them it doesn't always have to be money or a job um, i think that there's more for us to do so if you're that kind of south african who wants to give back please get in touch with us Thanks so much and all the best, Mbali. Always great engaging you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Evie.